1: Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay and I am Mark DeVoe. and welcome, welcome, welcome writers
0: all around the world. We're so grateful to have you here with us today. For what is our 300 and blah blah, blah episode. We are absolutely Uh, We've lost count, folks. We've absolutely lost count. But we haven't lost count of all our wonderful patrons and academates. And this week, we would like to thank Phil Oddy and also Sherry Enright, who have joined the masses of people that are supporting this podcast. If you would love to support The bestseller Experiment, keep this show on the road, please pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and find out about all the amazing goodies that you can get on top of what you get every week with me and Mark. Waffling on about everything to do with writing. And this week, Mr. Stay, we had something very interesting happen, didn't we? You
1: had a very special evening with one of our favourite friends of the podcast. Yeah, I had a wonderful event. Postponed from last year because I had covid so it was supposed to come out the week my book came out, um, but it, it happened last week. Uh, we a wonderful event at Waterstones in Canterbury with the one, the only. There will never be another, Mister Ben Aronovich, and we were there yeah. to celebrate. Originally, it was supposed to be we were going to celebrate ten years of the Rivers of London. And now we're celebrating 11 years of the Rivers of London. So it doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but it was great. We had a full house, really great crowd. Um, I sold all but two of my books, which was ace. Wow, um, so- bought three. <laughs> <laughs> very good, Sorry. thank you. I couldn't you. help <laughs> No, I know you bought hundreds. I know you bought hundreds. Mark. <laughs> but it was great. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Ben was very, Ben has mellowed. Ben really has mellowed. Or, or you're the one who wound him up. I'm just saying, oh. he, was, he, was, yeah, he, was, he was, you know, mellow and wise wow. and generous and, you know, it was a brilliant evening, though. It was probably really good the, fun. Really, definitely really good
0: probably fun. the latter, Mark. I, I take full responsibility <laughs> for the Brian Cranston interview, for the Ben Aronovich interview, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and everything else that ever happened. Yeah. It was dodgy. That's great. So tell me about, like, so... You, you say, you, I mean, reflecting back eleven years, I mean, River of London—that was that was the big—that was really the start of it all for Ben. Really, was in terms of book writing. I mean,
1: he'd done a lot of stuff before then, Doctor Who and all kinds. But yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, yeah, it was a it was a, a life changer for him. And what I've forgotten, I don't know if he mentioned this when we spoke to him, but he was saying that you know he was, in his words, he said he was facing bankruptcy. You know, he couldn't pay. You know, his his rent. He couldn't. You well, know, he was running out of money. So he got on with it and he wrote something that became, you know, a phenomenon. And, uh, you know, there are now books and comic books and and all kinds of incredible stuff. Now, it was filmed and is being edited at the moment and then it'll be legal um, and then it'll go... <laughs> then I'll go on YouTube. It's not. People have said is it an official podcast thing? It's not. But once the the video is live, we'll share it far and wide so you can Brilliant. all can all enjoy that. But it was it was really good fun. It was really good to see him again. It was his first event uh, since uh, I think October la- or September last year. Mm-hmm. um and uh it was nice because the publicist afterwards said it's it's kind of restored our faith in bookshop events because you know it was the the staff at Waterstones in Canterbury my goodness they are they're such a well-oiled event machine they you know all, you you turn around suddenly there's all these over 100 chairs out and you know then we do the event and you look down science and books you look up all the chairs have gone you know it's so wow. smoothly run it's um it's uh, just fantastic! It's it's it feels so nice to be back doing those kind of events.
0: Now, I do have to ask Mark on behalf of all our podcast listeners around the world that couldn't make it to the event <laughs> did did it come up? Long time listeners will know what I'm talking about. Was Very, it reference? F-
1: just one tiny reference, ah, one nice. tiny tiny nice. reference, and uh, uh, and it was it was just a uh, you know, and it was one of these things. A couple of people tittered in the audience. You know, they knew. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just very, very briefly. So uh no, like I say, he's he's mellowed, man. That's he's great. mellowed. <laughs> and it must be really nice. I think I think one of the things that
0: COVID has given us as a is an appreciation for, you know, what used to be a normal thing, like go and listen to an author at you know, an author yeah. event book sign. And I think having been denied that, it's a bit like people who've gone back to yeah. the cinema, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I miss this, I love this. And it does make you appreciate yeah. some of the amazing things
1: that are, you know, we usually, I guess, we used to take for granted. So, yeah, it's so good. It's so good to be back. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. And I love meeting readers, you know, and signing stuff, and you know, just having chats with people and meeting new readers. People came. You know, people came for Ben. Let's let's be honest here. People came for Ben, and I managed to pick up a few new readers along the way. But and it was great because you, it's this is how we learn about our readers you know we have newsletters and everything but we you know it's it's just great to meet people face to face and and get excited about books and reading and stuff like that
0: it does make it's one of those things you know i've always dwelled on this thought for many many years about the kind of solitary life as a writer and it's not just the writing bit but it's the the reading bit as well that you don't ever really get to hear the stories from your readers Unless they they go to the real, real effort. And it is a huge thing. Very few people, you know, despite you think, oh, yeah, J.K. Rowling must get like mailbags and mailbags every single day. But the reality is, even for best, best, best-selling authors, they rarely get a letter. They mm. might get an email. I think mm. a lot of people think that because they're so successful or because they're this big name that they're untouchable or unapproachable. But I did this experiment and I've talked you've, about it. You know, you've I, done it a lot, have I've haven't done it and it worked. You've, you've, Terry yeah. Pratchett, I got a response within 24 hours, emailed him. Um, I did it with, um, I mean, probably four or five different authors. but did it was you long Tom, Clancy? Tom Clancy, you Tom yeah, Clancy? Tom Clancy, yeah. Tom Clancy yeah, was, was the first in 1994 because that was when he had an AOL address and email was just starting. And I thought, <laughs> oh, I wonder what happens. Send that email. And he sent me a one-line response, but... Never contact them me again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that was it. <laughs> Your IP address has been traced. Um, but no, actually, for people that missed when I said that on a previous episode, it was a really beautiful email. I just, I was reaching out to lots of different successful people to ask them what it was that drove them to do. To be to do the thing that they did and yeah. you know what do they think looking back what was the thing and i said to tom clancy i asked him what drove you to kind of want to be an author and write a book and, and publish and be successful and he simply said this one line he said i wanted to see my book on the shelf in a bookshop that was mm-hmm. it that was his big big
1: big driving goal and i know for a lot of authors that is that's the moment isn't it it's like this it's so weird because that's the that's the first thing you ask of people who join the academy, isn't it? You know? Yeah. So you yeah. think about it, that goes all the way – the academy goes all the way back to 1994 and you're asking that question. Absolutely. Because it's – I think if you can actually visualise
0: what that thing is that you would love to happen – it it's the thing that gets you through those really difficult days, the days when you can't write, the days when you're not feeling motivated and the days when you think it's never going to happen is it's that little voice in your head saying, yeah, but what if, and I always get that every time I walk into a, into a bookshop or anywhere where I'm inspired, it just something bubbles up inside me. And I think a lot of, a lot of authors who are writing, you know, they just need to go to another. They just need to go back to a bookstore once every couple of weeks, two, three weeks, and just go to that place where their book would be in in the alphabet, you know, and actually look, work out who they're going to be between. And <laughs> we've said that on the, the the academy. Actually, you'd actually go then take a photo of yourself pointing at the place and share it <laughs> because it, it kind of makes it real. That is like you know, it's like it's waiting for your book. It's not like, will my book be published? It's like this slot on the shelf in this bookshop is It's waiting for my book. So I better bloody hurry up and write it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. But so much of this kind of stuff to talk about because we
1: have an amazing interview today, don't we? Well, talk about emailing people out the blue. Beth Miller just dropped us a line. There was no publicist. There was no, you know, uh, Beth Miller just got in touch and said, I'm not sure if I qualify as a bestseller. And as As you'll listen to the interview, she clearly does qualify as a bestseller. But she's the author of six novels, uh, two nonfiction books. One of the novels, Starstruck, has a lot in common with Back to Reality, uh, which we talk about quite a bit. And her new book is The Woman Who Came Back to Life. And Beth is brilliant. She, she, you know, she... uh, coaches, writing. She's uh, done all kinds of stuff. And we discuss leaving a book too long before coming back to write it again and the perils and dangers thereof, developing writer instincts and being confident enough to say no, and why the spine of the story is so important to her. This is brilliant. And for
0: all of you folks out there like me that have been writing things for years and never published, you're going to love this one. This is going to inspire you. (laughs) So let's have a listen to Mark chatting to the lovely... Beth Miller.
1: Beth Miller, welcome to the bestseller Experiment. How are you today? I'm good. Delighted to be here. Thank you, Mark. Oh, absolute pleasure. I just want to take you up on something before we jump in, because you sent us an email, you know, saying, oh, I'd love to come on the show. And you said, you said here, I'm not really a bestselling author, though my fourth novel, published by Bookature in 2020, sold about 40,000 copies, as did one of my nonfiction books. Now, Beth, if one of my books had sold 40,000 copy, I would commission a milliner to create a hat with a big neon sign that says best-selling author blinking on and off. And you've done it twice. So I think you're more than qualified to come on the show. Well, welcome to the show. Um, but this is the thing, you've had an extraordinary career, haven't you? It's you've, you know, you've uh, there are six books, two nonfiction books, uh, you've been published by, you know, a number of different publishers um, so yeah it's it's going to be fun talking about uh, your career but let's start let's start with uh, a book that i think is going to be very close to the hearts of me and mr d uh cuz it has quite a bit in common with back to reality tell tell us about starstruck
2: well um i loved reading back to reality after I'd, i i read it after i'd written starstruck just getting that
0: yes. uh, said straight away just <laughs> lawyers, yes. um,
2: because there are some <laughs> <laughs> lawyers, there are some similarities um well Starstruck is about a woman who's a tribute artist, a small-time tribute artist, who um, performs as the world's most fabulous star, who's called Epiphany. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day they swap places. That's not a spoiler. It kind of happens pretty mm. much straight away. Um, but the the inspiration for it came from several places. Um, I love tribute acts. I've always loved tribute acts very much. And uh, there was a great thing on the Graham Norton show a few years ago where... He had this segment, which is on YouTube, it's totally brilliant, where Adele takes part, have you seen this? She takes part wearing prosthetics in an Adele looky-likey competition. And um, I absolutely adored it. And I I especially loved that no one, none of the other Adele's who'd obviously, you know, studied her hugely, knew her as probably better than she knew herself, but none of them knew it was her until Mm. the moment she started singing yeah. And a shiver went up my spine I was like, "Oh, you know that There's something that can't be faked yeah. And um, so that was one of the inspirations for it And I just thought What would happen if a tribute artist And the person that she portrayed Did swap places Would people know? Mm. Would people know it wasn't the famous artiste But I was almost more interested in, in Would people know that the Sort of small town tribute act They were expecting Was actually the famous star. Um, so that's kind of what got me excited about writing it.
1: I don't know if you had the same problem we had, because whenever you write about the rich and the famous, particularly pop stars and movie stars, truth is always stranger than fiction. You know, we researched, you know, the, the sort of the mega divas out there and the sort of things that they do, and you just think, well, I, we couldn't put that into a book. No one would ever believe it. I mean, did you have the same thing? <laughs>
2: Um a little bit. I mean, I I think um I mean Diamond in yours is maybe she is a bit more extreme than my Epiphany, who's very controlled, very she doesn't have scandal. She's sort of I, I was sort of slightly basing her on Beyoncé, who you know is like right. the world's most professional person. Um I'll probably say this and now next week she'll have a scandal, but um, <laughs> um I was I was wanting it to be someone who I'm interested in fame I don't know if you guys when you're writing that was sort of got interested in fame and what it does to people but I Mm. I felt like my character Epiphany was as a young person she'd been so buffeted around by fame that she was then determined to be very in control Mm. and you know real um you know just totally professional so um so I didn't have too many like that I mean there were things I made up I don't know if they're real there's a scene when my main character, Sally, who's the one who portrays Epiphany, travels on Epiphany's passport. And obviously that's incredibly illegal. And I <laughs> and I didn't know if any of that would be possible. But I just, you know, I whenever I do something like this in fiction, I always say letters of transit. I don't know if that means anything to you, <laughs> but um, it's my shorthand for doing something that probably couldn't happen in real life. Yeah. But you can probably just about push it through. It comes from. Casablanca, because mm. the whole MacGuffin in Casablanca is they all get transit, desperate to get yeah. their hands on these letters of yeah, transit, yeah. but that's not a real thing. But no one knows it's not a real thing. You know, you just buy it.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. In, in the in the universe of the story. It's the thing that's, you know, you just go, oh, okay, that's kind. It's one of those things, if you just say it with confidence, if you say it, you know, it's like walking around anywhere with a clipboard, you look like you belong, and a high viz, you look like you belong there. And actually so much of writing is about that, isn't it? Just saying, yeah, this is the thing. And the reader goes, oh, okay. If, if you show just a little chink of doubt, they'll pounce on you. But it's having that brazen confidence, which is a lot to do with being famous as well, isn't it? You know, but it's, um, oh, it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, it, it, what's interesting is Epiphany sounds like a much more modern pop star whereas we based I think our diamond was you know a little over the hill looking at this younger upstart taking over uh, and doing doing terrible terrible things so this is it listeners you can you can read both books they you know they complement one another um, but yeah in a I mean we have a a sort of Bardo State ley lines um, you know cross universe kind of thing going on so I'm sure one day they will they will clash into each other They'll and, meet. And oh, I'd love to happen. see that <laughs> That's fan fan fiction alert. Get out there, folks. Uh, Someone else write this. Um, But you've got a a new book out as well, The Woman Who Came Back to Life, which is a bit different. Tell us about The Woman Who Came Back to Life.
2: Yes. um, In fact, Starstruck was the aberration um, because I mostly mostly my books have been women's commercial, um, more or less. Um, and Starstruck was unusual in that it was more of a comic novel. Um, But yes, if you read Starstruck first and then read The Woman Who Came Back to Life, you would be thinking, oh, she's really lost her sense of Um, (laughs) humour. Slightly bafflingly, one of the Amazon categories for The Woman Who Came Back to Life is humorous literary fiction, which worries me because um, (laughs) I think someone someone buys it thinking they're in for a good laugh. They're going to be a bit (laughs) bit traumatised. So this is about an older woman, I like writing about older women, actually, um, who is uh, currently, as as the book opens, leading a very um, quiet, austere life in, the, in that lovely little cottage in the middle of a wood in France with her husband, who's kind of cut off ties from her family and, and her previous life in the UK. And then, you know, it's a novel. So, of course, life comes crashing in. Forcing her to kind of reevaluate just about everything. Um, so it's, I suppose, coming of age is obviously something that's always used about young people growing up, but this is a woman who's 52. But I still feel, in some ways, it's a coming of age novel. It's about her reckoning with a lot of things that she pushed away. Um, and there's sort of slow reveals about what was really going on in her life. And it's very much about her relationship with her father, who it was a very difficult relationship, and there's a lot of things about that. So yeah, yes, I wouldn't say it's it's not a rollicking, uh, ro- roaring on, <laughs> roaring out loud book, but um, it's people have sort of said you know it's very emotional and the emotions are very real, um, and it's very um, I think people are finding it sort of quite resonating with sort of the, if you know if you've ever had any stuff going on in your family, which pretty much everyone has, then I think people find it quite resonant. So um, I'm glad about that.
1: But that's that's the thing, though. Uh, emotion runs through everything you write isn't it? Even your book on the archers, there's, there's passion behind that. There's, you know, that's not to say that one emotion is more worthy than another, is it? These are all, we write to make people move if it's to make them, making them laugh in my experience is much more difficult than, you know, frightening people or thrilling people or whatever. So it's, uh, you know, emotion for me, uh, a film, a book, piece of music works if I'm moved. I don't know about you. I mean, that's, that's, that's a success for me, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's I absolutely agree. It's about finding something that you know that touches you in some way, and then you're just in. You're just it's, whether it's a character who you relate to, or just something that feels like you have an, an understanding of what the creator is trying to say. That's when you really get absorbed in something, which is you know what I think what what we're looking for in a piece of art, whether it be a book or a film or whatever. You're just looking to get caught up in a different world, aren't you?
1: Yeah, making making that making that connection. Let's talk about uh, your road to publication because um, the, I, I've been I've been doing some digging, Beth, and I, I think it all started for you when you first uh, won a two pound book token. <laughs> uh, this is big money, uh, big you know. Money. <laughs> if people, you know, kids today uh, can barely appreciate the thrill of getting a, a book token in a school prize or whatever. But it, tell tell us how it started for you.
2: Well, I can barely remember anything about that. I, I think I wrote a story or a poem. I can't even, I think, I can't remember, but it was um, in a newspaper a competition. I was probably about seven <laughs> and I didn't win overall, but I think I won, you know, a runner-up prize, but it was judged by Laurie Lee, which rather wow. dates the whole thing and dates me as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, two-pound book token. You could buy four 25p paperbacks then. Do you remember the 20? Yeah. Well, probably way younger than me. Know um know <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, I've always loved writing. I loved writing at school. I remember at school, um, a teacher asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, a poet, which is kind of ironic, actually, because I'm a really, really genuinely bad poet. <laughs> um, but then, I, yes, I loved writing at school. Then I didn't write, you know, stories that lots of writers have uh, who have, you know, come back to it a bit when they're a bit older. I didn't write for a long time, not fiction anyway. Um. I wasn't really in my 30s till I started writing fiction again. But looking back on my life, I have always managed in every job I've had. I've had a lot of different jobs. I like flitting around and I've always managed to get whatever writing gig is going. So if somebody at an office said "Who wants to write the newsletter, I'd be like, oh, I'll do it. Um, I do love a newsletter. So I've always (laughs) written and thought about writing. But it wasn't until my 30s I started writing fiction again. And then I didn't get published. I was in my 40s. So it's been a... I'm a late bloomer, I think, uh, when it comes to writing. But I don't mind that. I feel like I've got more to say now. I think if I'd been published in my 20s, it would have been, you know, lots of people write when they're young and they're great. But I think I I certainly, mine wouldn't have been. Mine would have been very navel-gazing um, and um, a bit uninformed. So I think it's good I waited till I got a bit of experience.
1: I'm I'm the same. I think about the stuff I wrote in my teens and 20s, and it, it just makes me cringe. Um, but it was... I think I read somewhere it was twelve years uh, from you first writing a book to, to getting published. That's a that's a long and winding road, as Mister McCartney once wrote. I mean, it's were there ever points where you thought, "Oh, stuff this," you know, or <laughs> did you just keep going? Well, obviously, you kept oh, going. Cool.
2: I thought stuff this every day. Well, I mean, 12 years sort of, I mean, you know, I wasn't writing every day for 12 years. That would be completely um, incredible. But um, what I did was a real rookie mistake that when I'm coaching writers now, it's one of the few, I don't have very many general rules about writing, but it's one of the few general rules I have, which is you can't leave a book alone by itself for too long or, you know, like a toddler, it will wander into the road and, you know, you you, will just lose sight of it. Um, But that's what I did with the first book. So I wrote, um, you know, I wrote a few um, chapters in a flurry of excitement to start with. And then I put them aside probably, I don't know, for about a year. And then I thought, oh, I'll write some more. And anyway, it took about four years just to finish the first draft. So I was messing about. Then I had children and I had other jobs and other things. and, And then so it got to the stage where Every time I went back to the book, I pretty much had to read the whole thing to remember what I'd written because I couldn't remember it. And I had a few disasters along the way. There was one point when I was—I had little children, so getting clear time was unusual, but I was going on a long train journey somewhere up north. And I was really excited. I thought, oh, I've got, you know, journey there and back. I reckon I've got about eight hours of solid writing. And I knew what I wanted to write. I wanted to write a particular chapter, the big chapter, you know, where the big mm-hmm. thing happens and so I was very excited about that and I did I you know I I was I sat on that train and I wrote there and back and I wrote this great chapter and when I got home I discovered that about three years earlier I had already written that chapter <laughs> and I'd completely forgotten and and I wish this I would it, you know if you know if I was making a film of my life it would obviously be that the new version was better but in fact the version I'd already written was better it was more solid um and So I swore there and then, I didn't stick to it immediately, but I swore there and then never to let so much time go by with writing a book that I've completely forgotten things I've written. Um, And so I've stuck to that. So all the books since have been, yes, you can write much quicker than 12 years. If anyone out there is thinking, yeah, 12 years, that sounds about right. (laughs) It doesn't have to be 12 years. 12 years was a lot of faffing um, and leaving the book for years on end. So, you know, the the second book after that, I wrote in eight months, which is a bit more like it. And since then I I can do, I can do about, it takes me about a year, thereabouts to do a book. So I have learned how to do it. But when I coach people, I try and help them jump over that big puddle uh, for why it took me 12 years so that they don't have that same disastrous uh, feeling of, you know, this is never going to end. I'm never going to finish this book. So I think finishing that first draft is it's it's easy to underestimate how important it is to finish that first draft mm. and feel like, yes, I can actually tell a whole story. Um so yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to take 12 years, but that is that is my sad tale.
1: It is some um, it is an error that I think and I've done it, you know, you you end up rewriting the same thing again and again and again. And there has to come a point where you put that aside and you move on and you, you write the next thing and it's fresh and it's different, and you don't end up writing the same chapter twice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I really don't think that's a great idea. I'm not recommending that as a technique at
1: all. <laughs> I've also you also told us that you're you rubbish at titles. Is this a blind spot for you? Tell us about that.
2: I have published eight books now, and not one of them has a title that I came up with. I think that must be some kind of record, surely. And <laughs> um, in, in, you know, in the beginning, I came up with titles, and they were often not great. But publishers would always just you know be really polite and say oh, yes, uh, we like that book. We think we can do something slightly stronger and then they do something completely different. So the last few books, I have not even bothered to give my own title to, just knowing that there's there's no point. There's no point in me expending energy on it because everyone thinks my titles are rubbish, including me. You know, sometimes, <laughs> I, you know, I have a writing group and I work a lot with other writers and they often say, oh, can you advise me on my title? And I, no, I cannot <laughs> advise you. <laughs> Um, The only one I'm disappointed about was uh, my uh, three books ago was the uh, Two Hearts of Eliza Bloom is the title I ended up with. And I thought my title for that was really good. And I'm still slightly sore about that. I'll tell you now and you'll probably make a face and be like, yeah, no, they were right. But my my title, so my character wasn't even called Eliza Bloom. The publisher renamed or encouraged me to rename my character for a better title. My character was originally called Hannah Bresler. Um, and I think that didn't have a very good shelf shout. And my title was The Reeducation of Hannah Bresler, which I, I stand by that. I still I still think that's a good title. But um, anyway, I think I'm the only person who thinks that. So, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. Yeah, if you want advice on
1: the title, I am not the person to come to. That's interesting because that first, what, is that first name more personal to you? Is it, because renaming a character as well, that late in the day can really discombobulate an author, can't it? Because you'll be—I'm sure you've done panels and Q and As and authors where you might have come this close, or actually referred to them as Hannah, and then you've got to think, oh no, it's Eliza.
2: It's funny; those sorts of things don't bother me. I'm—I'm I'm a very pragmatic writer, so some things just don't affect me. As soon as we changed the name, pretty much about two days later, I was like, yes, Eliza. I mean, I can often barely remember the names of my characters anyway. Once I've written a book. Um, I often, um, if I'm talking about them, I really struggle to remember what I did call people. Um, the only things that I'm precious about are things that are kind of to do with the spine of the story, you know, mm-hmm. the, the really key things that I rarely dig my heels in. Um, I'm not saying I'm an editor's dream because I think I am quite um, annoying to work with, but, um, <laughs> but I do, if, if I can, you know, if I can't see a good reason to stick to my guns, then I just say, no, that's fine, let's change it. But if it's the spine of the story, then I dig my heels and I'm thinking about the book I'm writing next um, which is about a circus act it's a bit more in the starstruck mold it's sort of I right. think it's going to be funny and my publisher I'm not writing it for my publisher they turned it down I'm writing it just for myself um because they initially were interested and then they made lots of suggestions for it that I felt were affecting the spine of it so at first was about it's another swap one it's about a university lecturer in oxford very serious woman who takes who becomes part of a circus act and initially the publisher said well do they need to be a university lecturer and i said um yes i think so um and they, but maybe not and they said well could they not be in oxford then and i said okay they don't have to be in oxford so eventually it ended up being a teacher in somewhere else other than Oxford. And I was like, okay. And then the publisher said, and could we make the circus less important? And then that was when I said, oh, no, I'll write you something else. Um, in fact, that's when I wrote The Woman Who Came Back to Life. I wrote for them instead because the spine of my story, <clears> the thing I'm really interested in, the thing that gets me up and to my desk is the circus story. And that's what yeah. I want to write about. So that was the spine. But names, no. Things like names don't bother me um changing venues doesn't normally bother me titles clearly i'm i've given up on completely <laughs> so yes that those are the things where i dig my heels in
1: it's it's a lesson to learn isn't it you got to you've got to know where to stand your ground and it's funny i got i've got uh i got some notes back on something recently and one of the notes was actually i thought yep that's really good uh that will that will help the story and another one of the notes made me think uh, and this isn't a publisher; this is a, a a film producer. It did make me think, oh, maybe you missed the point of the whole thing, and it's um, which which does make you think, okay, I've got to go back and you know hang a lantern on that and make it more apparent that this is what this is really about. Uh, but it's um, it is funny you, and it's something when you are starting out as an author, you can be pushed and pulled in all kinds of direction. notes, can't you think? Oh, I've got to please these people, whereas in the end, what you've really got to do is is kind of please yourself and if someone says okay we don't want to publish your circus book the thing is now you can write that there's a you know you can self-publish you there are other publishers out there it's not the end of the world is it
2: no absolutely and I think I mean if that was my first book and I was right at the start of my career you're right Mm. things might have been very different but I've learned to I've learned and I've had to develop my writer's instincts like you have Mark you know we all develop instincts that takes time where you feel confident to say yes that's a good note. I'm going to do that no my instincts are saying not I mean with my first book um way back uh which was called when we were sisters I had a lot I got a lot of feedback I'm mad for feedback really I gave it to I printed it out and spiral bound it and gave it to loads of friends to read and then they gave it to their friends and husbands and whatnot mm-hmm. So I had tons of feedback and I took loads of it on board and my instincts weren't completely formed then. But one note I got back was from someone who said, the Jewish Catholic thing, I'm not mad about that. I think you should ditch it. Basically, it was a young girl who was Jewish and she was friends with a Catholic girl. And I think that's the first time that my writer's instincts really prickled at the back of my neck. And I thought, no, 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 that's you know, and I was, I was really ready to take feedback. I really felt like I didn't know what I was doing, but I felt deep down somewhere that the Jewish Catholic thing was really important, and it turned mm. out to be so. I mean, the reason I got my agent is because she liked that element of the book, yeah. um, and so that was one of the few notes that I didn't take, and ever since then i thought, if I get that feeling, that sort of prickly feeling in my back that says this is or isn't a good idea, I do really trust it now, but I know... That does take a while.
1: It takes a while to develop those instincts. Yeah. I mean. yeah. It's it's that thing of um we had Laurie Stevens on the podcast recently and she's, you know, a Texan and she's writing about gun control and abortion and all these kind of contentious issues. And it's that thing of if it scares you a little or if it gives like I say, if it gives you that tingle, you're probably onto something, aren't you? You know? So it's uh it's it's that exploration of doing something that's new and a bit frightening. Yeah, yeah, those those
2: are the things to look out for the things that make you think and actually this happens again I've just remembered that in The Woman Who Comes Back to Life I was struggling a little bit with writing I, that was my pandemic book and um and I was struggling I just hadn't quite got the story and it was it felt very sluggish and then I was writing a chapter I'm a complete I'm I really try and be a planner but I'm really I'm not much of a planner I am a pantser so things do happen that are a little not outside my control I don't believe that you know they're nothing to do with me, but. I don't always know what I'm going to write. Mm. And I had my character, Pearl, walking through the woods and then suddenly she met a strange man in the woods. I, as I was writing it, I did not know who this man was. <laughs> um, I didn't know what he was doing in my story, but I, I had that feeling, oh, this is something. It's, it? You know, I wasn't expecting it, but this might work. And in fact, I, I've had to, I think that must be one of the spine things in the story because a couple of editors uh, have, who've worked on this book said, um we're sure about the man in the woods <laughs> and um and I've said yes no I, I I can see why you think he could come out and I can see that I, he could come out without really affecting things too much but I really like him and I think he needs to stay so I kind of stuck to that and I'm glad I did because I do think that part of the story works
1: excellent excellent stuff so what's coming next Beth you've got the circus book um but what's uh, what else is happening in your in your world
2: Um, I'm having a slightly quieter year writing wise, I think. I just I did, you know, Starstruck came out in August last year. The Woman Who Came Back to Life came out in January, just gone. Um, And I have been working quite hard. Um, So I just need a little I'm going to do the circus book quietly this year without setting myself very difficult deadlines and then see if anyone likes it and I'm I mean I I say this but then the other day I woke up with an idea for a short story which doesn't happen very often I'm not much of a short story writer but so I've been writing a short story the last few days just for fun Uh, but I'm doing lots of things around writing so I do a lot of teaching of writing um uh, I'm teaching I'm I, I teach for Arvon I'm doing another Arvon this year which I absolutely love doing and I teach for local universities And I do a lot of one-to-one book coaching um, for people. And I'm also a Royal Literary Fund Fellow um, at Brighton University, which is a brilliant uh, Mm. job. You do two days a week and you you basically just meet with students who can be in any discipline at all to help them with their writing. So I see a lot of students who Mm. they probably started doing their course because they thought, hooray, I don't have to write essays. You know, (laughs) mathematicians (laughs) and nurses, I see a lot of nurses, and then to their horror, they've got to write essays. So they, they maybe don't know where to start. You know, they're brilliant nurses, brilliant mathematicians, but maybe they're not so comfortable with writing. So right. um, I love that. I'm learning so many different things. I You know, I feel like there's one nursing essay, which I've seen about eight nursing students who write an essay, and I feel sure I could write that essay now. Um, uh, it's just really interesting. I'm just seeing lots of different disciplines, artists and scientists. So that's a great job. That's two days a week, and that's keeping... My brain active, uh, hmm. so I think yeah, quiet year of writing my circus book just quietly and seeing what happens. And of course, obviously, if any um, one suddenly says they want to make a film with Starstruck, then I will be all over <sighs> that. Uh, so there's no. No theory, about it. but strangely, that I keep refreshing my email, but no one has yet. Mark, I don't know why. It's
1: baffling, isn't it? Uh, talking about, I, I just saw you tweet something just the other day, uh, and you said just bought my own book by mistake while wildly refreshing <laughs> the page to look at its ranking. This is yeah, I I I I think a lot of authors can relate to that. I don't think I've ever bought my own book by mistake, but t- tell us how that happened.
2: Oh, I was just okay, so. The woman who comes back to life, who came back to life, whatever that title is, the woman who came back to life, um, uh, was doing quite well last week. It was, um, it got into the top hundred in in Kindles. Uh, it went to ninety six. Not that I've been checking. Yeah. So I was very <laughs> excited. So, <laughs> but I basically just every, I don't know, I, 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 for some reason, every ten minutes I was refreshing. I don't know why, because I know that Amazon doesn't update it every ten minutes. But I was just eagerly, and then my mouse just slid, and it just slid onto buy now uh, and i've got this stupidly sensitive mouse i'm just blaming the mouse i'm blaming yeah. i'm blaming yeah. my computer i didn't need to buy it because i have it already yeah. but um i and then and then a friend of mine accused me of doing you know a brian epstein like you know going around and buying all the beatles singles <laughs> of me too to try and get into the top so um it wasn't it wasn't that i don't think my one will make huge difference but, um yes i'm a bit mortified but Obviously, not so mortified that I didn't feel like sharing it.
1: Um, <laughs> <I guess> yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, best of luck with everything that's coming, uh, folks. If you want to find Beth, uh, it's BethMiller.co.uk. Uh, look her up there, and thank you so much for speaking to us today. And hope to speak to you again with your hat on next time. Thank
2: you, Mark. It was brilliant.
1: Thanks for
0: having me on. Oh, you've got to love you've got to love a good story about getting to that finish line. Hey. What an absolute trooper Beth is! Like she really, she really went round the houses, didn't she? But she got there
1: in the end, and now you can't—nothing can stop her. It feels like round the houses, in a train, on a long train journey. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> that, I mean that that thing of re—and I've done it. I've 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 not done a whole chapter, but I have done things where I've I've you know had a go at it. Look back and said, oh, God, I've already done this. I've already done, and you look and. <laughs> As she says it's the new thing isn't necessarily better, and I know there will be people out there who maybe through some terrible i t disaster or whatever have lost a oh, chapter yeah. or a whole novel or whatever and have yeah. gone back and had to start from scratch and mm. you know so it's um, always back up people always back up uh it's um you know so having to go back and redo that thing again is is uh you know. There's only there's only one
0: thing worse, isn't there, Mark? Than that. There's one thing worse than that, and that is writing a whole chapter and realise you've written someone else's chapter. <laughs> you're like, whoops! Because that happens in music. You listen to a piece of music and you get this great melody or a chord progression in your head, and then three weeks later, you're sitting m- messing around and noodling with something, and you come up with this most mind blowing chord progression, and you like start and you do the whole track, and then three days later, you go back to your playlist. And you think, oh, hang on a minute, it's the same blooming melody, and um, but it is fascinating, and I think it, it's a really important lesson for all of us to remember. I mean, Ben talking to Ben Aronovich, he he always mentioned that like, one of my favourite quotes of the whole podcast: if you if you don't continue to write, you know, frequently, your characters will get bored and, and leave. Um, yes. Beth had quite a different take, you know, like a toddler wandering out into a road. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of like, yes. whoa! But but at the same time, it's a really important lesson because. The longer we take, the longer it takes. I mean, I know it's silly to say, but there's lots of additional things like rewriting the same chapter that just add even more time. So it's about getting your head down and cracking on with it and keeping yourself in the story as the, as the writer. Because I think we get bored actually, don't we? If we go back to something and it's it's
1: lost its momentum, it's like, how do we bring ourselves back to life as the writer? Yeah, absolutely. This is very much on my mind at the moment in that, um one I'm starting the next Woodville book so I just this morning this morning uh started the first work on that mm. um, and also I've got I've um I had the opportunity to uh work on a a, a TV project and had to put something aside to do that so now I'm going to have to go back to that thing that I put aside and that yeah. You know, it's not ideal, but when opportunity knocks, you know you, you have to go for it. So I've now got to go back to that thing and sort of, you know, pump some life back into it and see mm. if uh, see if I can get that up and running again. I'm pretty sure I can. I was excited about it when I was working on it, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's it comes with the territory, I guess. In some ways, it is a good acid test for the book if you do
0: come back to something and you you do get re energized about it I think that's
1: that's a good sign in some ways but it's better to kind of just be energized throughout the whole it's it's always tricky though because if you if you're in the middle of say a first draft we know what first drafts are like they are imperfect at best you know and if you're coming back to it and you when you're in the middle of a first draft, you're all excited, you're giddy, you're moving forwards. You know, you're you're you're, you're and you worry about the second draft later on. Just get it on the page, get it down. But if you step away from it and come back to it, and then you do have to read it all over again, there is a part of thinking, "Oh, is this as good as I thought it was? Was I just fooling myself?" So you do, you do kind of have to get over yourself and and get back into it, and you know, try and drum up that enthusiasm again, which is why it's so important to keep that momentum going. I do think there's
0: also a tendency that as something ages with you, as in as it, the longer it is since you've read it or you've yeah. been a part of it, the more critical you become of it because you kind of have moved on from that stage of your life. And I've said this all the time in music. Um, people always say, well, I wrote a track five years ago and I don't think I'm going to put it out because it's just it's five years old. And I said, how old is it to the person that hears it? at the weekend on Spotify. How old is it? And they said, well, it's like one day old. I said, yeah, exactly. You've got to realise there is a kind of psychological thing that happens. I don't know what we'd call it. Like there's probably some term out there. Someone's going to like email us about, but (laughs) like to do with something aging, whereas things like wines and cheeses get better. (laughs) do books get worse right and so we become more critical because we have probably moved on as a writer as well and our writing there's probably more work to do on an older novel because we're thinking oh god this really needs a lot of a new work i've I've got new eyes on it
1: but it is an interesting one isn't it i think it's it's, um, um i was having a conversation with a writer friend yesterday and um he has worked in hospitals for the last couple of years. So you can imagine what that's been like. Very, very stressful kind of frontline worker. Uh, and he hasn't had a headspace to write. Now, he's already published two fantasy novels and he needs to finish the third. But he he's had that thing of, I've now got to go back and reread those and make notes and then think about the third novel but the other thing is while he's been working these last 2 years the idea for a completely new different novel came along and i said to him you know what write what makes you happy write that novel that has nothing to do with the others because i think if you jump into that and it's fun and it gives you joy and you rediscover the fun of writing and and the, you know the ups and downs and everything that's going to be that once you've gone through that you'll you're then much more likely to have the momentum to tackle that third book when that comes along and I I think you know if if writing is making you miserable or unhappy then write something else you know it's um that stepping away again try not just try not to do it in the first place but again you know for one reason or another it the real life comes along and you know shoves you to one side so there's no getting around it but um yeah it's 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 difficult getting that boulder moving up the hill again I've got a challenge for our listeners, Mark.
0: I want I want our listeners to tell us. Let's go for world records here. Maybe we get into Guinness Book of Records. How long? What's the longest time that someone has been working on a book? Let. let it, Email us, tell us, like, I want to see how, just how, how crazy some of these years are. So, um, we will compile them and we'll do, if we get a couple of them, we'll give you the top three and we'll do a special countdown, but I'm curious. And, but we also want to know about the, the ones that you've been working on and still haven't finished. Okay. But I also want to know the longest ones that have actually now been published And tell us what happened as well um i think it'd be really interesting because i think i think this is a a real common thing i think actually i think if we were to do a survey across the world's authors writers and writers who don't believe they're writers yet i think that we would find that the vast majority of people are in this boat because it's it i think the people that finish books they're the ones that finish marathons, you know, it's like they're the very, very small percentage of writers out there. So I think we're talking to the masses here and and I, for one, you know, I completely appreciate it because it's, and it's harder than it have, ever has been, I think, to finish a book because we've got so many distractions in our life, extra distractions than we used to, but we've all, we've also, we're also busier than we ever have been because our lives, I think, generally have got more complicated. I think there are more things to compete with writing. So it gets even harder, which means we have to be even more disciplined. And and that's where the the magic, mm. I think, happens. But yeah, interesting. The one thing I love about the interview, well, many things I loved about the Beth interview, but the book token. Oh, my gosh. It's been so, it feels like so many years hey. since we used to get I, I, book tokens. Have you still got any books on your shelf, Mark, that when you open up, you've got like a little kind of award on the inside and you got given it on say a, <laughs> a an awards evening at school and it and because I've got
1: a guitar book that actually has like and it said a, a, I got a 30 pound uh, book I, token I wasn't that sort of student um, oh. I, do. <laughs> oh. I do I did get I mean obviously I do I've worked in a bookshop I do remember book tokens and uh I, I love receipt and they're still around of they course, are they do know, they do digital. the national
0: children's yeah. day isn't there where they get don't they get a one pound book? Well, token? book yeah, yeah. But yeah. you can buy yeah, a book get, with that, yeah, exactly, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, special, yeah. special yeah. days, and, uh, love it. You know, yeah, that's no, very good. Yeah, they're still around, and yeah, getting a getting a book token. I, you know, I know some. That it was always a bit of a joke. Oh god, a book token, um, but I always enjoy getting those. And yeah. a two pound book token, you know, in the eighties. Funny enough, I'm rereading a book that I did read in my teens, and I've still got the paperback, and mm. on the back paperback was twenty five, wow. so actually a £2 book token you could get a cracking book you know you could get a good read out of that so um, yeah. yeah 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 brilliant stuff good times and
0: I was really interested as well about what Beth was talking about saying she's you know I've got more to say now that I'm older and it and it is an interesting one I mean I think in some ways yeah you've got you're more worldly or you've got more worldly experiences as you get older so you've got more more of a breadth but I think it's kind of it's good to write at any age, isn't it? Because it's whatever you're experiencing in that moment, you know, the drama of a teen, for example, you know, the transition of someone in their 20s. Um, but I do think our kind of writing changes as we as we grow older.
1: Yes. I, I mean, it's this, um, this is a debate that could go on and on and on. I mean, there's... <sighs> you should always listen to youth. You should always listen to their perspective. You know, they've always got a fresh new perspective on the world around us. They've got something new to say. They would have seen things that we haven't seen before. Now, how comfortable would they be about publishing some of that stuff as it can come back to, you know, haunt you perhaps? I don't know. Or So, I don't know. I would encourage everyone young to write Absolutely, no question. Would I encourage them to publish again? I mean, like Beth, I've got stuff from my youth that's just terrible. It's just not good writing, you know. But it's how I learned. I learned by my mistake. I've always said writing is the process of being a little less rubbish each time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you never, you're, you're never, you never going to perfect it, but each time is a little less rubbish than the last time because you've learned something and you carry it forward. So I and i i have seen careers of authors made more difficult because they became oh this 17 year old has got a big six figure book deal and they're published and the trouble is that's just such a red flag to critics who tear into the poor kids and you know it can be it can be really traumatizing and really really difficult and unfair but you know that that's the world around us and um I would hate to see someone's career nipped in the bud simply because they went out too soon. Yeah, I think I think
0: things have changed a bit, though, because of the, the way in which publishing now works is you could release something in, say, you know, your late teens. And if you, you know, hit your 30s and you look back at that and you think, oh, that's not very reflective, you can just pull it. I mean, I know it's already out there and circulating, but it's a bit like... The same thing. Like if you if you think about all the great bands in the world, if they had waited into their forties or fifties to release their albums, they they maybe wouldn't have learned the experience of going through the publishing game and 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 become wiser and and so there's that there's the experience of publishing as well as the the experience of writing as well, and it's a
1: it's a tough think, one, isn't it? I think there's a different energy to music. You uh, rock music is a young person's, you know, and pop music and rap and hip hop. Those all came about because young people didn't have a voice. Rock and roll, rap, uh, pop music, you know, young people didn't have a voice. They couldn't be heard in the papers on the news or whatever. So they got a guitar and they turned up to 11 and they learned three chords and they screamed into a microphone and told the world about, you know, their truth. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of bands who go the distance, a lot of bands who, um, they all go through this phase where they have their, you know, their, their great hits and then they have the years where they kind of mature and then they go on tour and then they say, I'm not playing the early stuff. I'm not playing the early stuff. I'm not doing it anymore, you know, uh, because I'm not that person anymore. And then they get booed because they don't play the early hits, and then they have to play those early hits because people are. Pre- and then they learn a new appreciation for them as well, you know. So I don't know. It's um, I'm not sure it's quite this. I know we equate music and and literature all the time, but I, I'm not sure it works the same because there's an there's an energy to to music. And also, you know, it might just be two or three verses. Whereas when you're talking about 80,000, 90,000 words of a novel, that's mm. more, you know, arguably that's, uh, you know, the nuance involved in that. And yes, you can pull the book, but those Goodreads reviews will be around for as long as Goodreads is around, you know. Yeah. So and uh, I, they'll always be I mean, there. My, da- my daughter's writing at the moment. She's 22. Um, she, you know, she's learning her craft. And, and there are places like Wattpad or whatever where you can put it out there. You can share it amongst your friends. Um, but. I don't know. I would just, I I would hesitate to put anything out there quite, unless you're an absolute stone cold genius, you know, uh, and that's and that's fine. But be um,
0: interesting to look at some of the aging. I think I think I know that you've been having worked in like traditional publishing for many years. You've probably seen, you know, firsthand some of the disasters that have unfolded, and some of those like you know the kind of the teen teen writers that never got, you know, managed to carry on that that success they had. Um, I think what 's different I feel what's different now is there's almost it 's same in the music industry as well it's this idea that as an indie writer, the only way you gain experience is is learned by doing it i mean obviously learn mm-hmm. by writing it but also learn by publishing and you have to build up your thick skin at some point whether you put a book out when you're thirty or forty you're going get you're gonna get those one star reviews you might not get as many if your writing's better obviously, but there's a lot of other things i think in the indie world that people have to consider the benefits of, of just going and doing it. And I'm very much a kind of like, just go for it, learn from it. It doesn't have, it's never going to be perfect. Um, does it make your third book amazing, more amazing than if that third book was your first book? I mean, possibly. So there's all those things to think about as well, but you're right. I mean, I think the tra- challenge with the internet is stuff lives forever, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, so just can- stick
1: it out under a pseudonym. Just stick it out. Under yeah, that's a true. Way. Yeah. You know, um- yeah. yeah. And learn from that. I, but putting yourself—I mean, let's let's not forget—you know—we're not digital natives. There's generations now who've known nothing but social media and yeah. can probably navigate it more than we can. But also know the dangers and perils of it and the cruelties that come from it. And uh, so, who are we to tell them what to do? But I—I—I I, I don't know. I just. I, I I fear for anyone who puts their head above the parapet too soon because
0: it's um, yeah. Well, it's you mentioned you mentioned Wattpad, and I think I mean I've only really kind of got my head around it recently because my my twelve year old has actually got into it over the last year and absolutely loves it. She's into anime and she's reading tons and tons of anime fan fiction on Wattpad. She's, she's almost reading as much as she's gaming now, which is like, get in, (laughs) still on a screen. But anyway, um, but the the, the thing is, is that, you know, she's not, she's not scared about writing something and putting it up on Wattpad. And I think it's, it's almost like a playground to try that. I mean, it's also very serious writers as well. I mean, there's some amazing Mm. stuff out there, but yeah, there's all, the thing is we've got so many options now. So many options. There is no single way up the mountain anymore. And I think that, um, you know, I think it's such an amazing time to be a writer, isn't it? Absolutely mm. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, What about this idea, Mark, about being precious? Because I know that there's uh, – Beth mentioned about how um, things like titles and character name changes, yes. she would just kind of be quite happy to let – how do you feel about that? I mean, have you, you must have had some of those kind of run-ins with, with editors.
1: Yeah, it's uh, – I, and I think she's right. You know, she talks about the spine of the important – the spine of the story is the most important thing to her, and for me that equates to you know similarly like the, the 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 you know the central dramatic argument the theme of the story what the story is about it's all very well saying, okay can we set it in a different place can we do this can we, but if you if someone says actually I want it to be about something different then you're like, well, I'm not going to spend a year of my life eight months of my life working on something just to please just to please you so let's let's find something else to work on. And uh, that's, you know, again, if you're a young writer and you're keen and eager to please, you might not have the uh, confidence to stand up and and do that. And I've spoken about this before. I ended up working on a script for two years that made me deeply unhappy, but I just thought, oh, this is an opportunity to get a movie made. Mm. Um, And it never happened because I just wasn't into it. I wasn't the right person for the job. Uh, So, yeah, I think she's absolutely right to, you know, we people can get precious about cover art, but I'm not a cover designer, so I'm happy to step back and let let the experts step in there. It, when my editor and copy editor make suggestions, I always take those very, very seriously uh, mm. and give them, you know, due consideration. doesn't mean I roll over for every one. Every now and then I think, no, no, I'm going to, you know, stand my ground on that one. Um, and, yeah, so you – you we talked about developing a thicker skin. You also develop a confidence. You develop uh instincts. Like she you said, you know, you, you develop writer instincts. Writer you get instincts, this kind of yeah. spidey sense for what's right and what's wrong. And that comes about simply because the more you do it, the more you know who you are as a writer and where you're coming from and what your voice is and what the things you are passionate about. And if someone says, well, I don't quite like that. You have the confidence to say, well, it's worked for me before, or I know what I'm doing with this. Just, you know, hear me out.
0: Mm. It does. You're right. I mean, you develop, I think you develop a bit of writer's confidence or, you know, whatever world you're living in, the more you do of it, the more you realize that you don't need to accept the very first publishing offer you get. You don't need to, sign up with the very first agent that actually shows interest. Um and I think, you know, we see that with a lot of um longer time authors who've had that successes. And just the very fact that Beth would say, Hey, why don't we work on something else? That's fascinating, isn't it, to actually just say, well, let's let's work on a different book together. I've never heard that said before out loud, but you know, I think it's a confidence to say, well, you know, if this album's not
1: working, let's try something else. So it's not something yeah. sometimes about the author, it's sometimes about the specific book, isn't it? Absolutely, I had a. Funny enough, I had a fun conversation yesterday. Now, um, I pitched this. There hasn't been an announcement yet, but I'm going to sneak this out. Simon and Schuster are doing two more Witches of Woodville books. Hasn't wow. been. Wow! So, yeah. Congratulations! Shh, don't, tell me, don't tell anyone. I think there's going to be an announcement. <laughs> um, so Brilliant. much the embargo. Um, there's no embargo. Uh, uh, <laughs> I I pitched. Uh, a bunch of ideas uh, to my editor. And so we had a list of of ideas for the next um, couple of books. And we had a conversation about which ones she thought would sell, that she could pitch, that she could get the sales team excited about that. So we had a shopping list. And so we had a long conversation. Actually, I like this about that. And I like that. Actually, it wasn't long at all. It was about 20 minutes. Uh, And we decided what the next book is going to be and what it's all going to be about. And that's great because that's, you know, we've, we've worked on that together. She, I feel part of the process. She feels part of the process. So we, we, we're both moving forward together with the same aim in mind. And I think, you know, previously I'm, you know, when you first get picked up, uh, you know, you've got the book that you've pitched to a publisher and they've snapped it up and you might have an idea for book two or book three or whatever. But when you get picked up again, it becomes a lot more collaborative. Mm. Where and you've also learned something about those books now that they're out. Now that people have read them, now that people have given you feedback and, and critiques, and you think, okay, yeah, this is what works. This is what they like. This this is the stuff that hasn't worked so well in the past. Uh, and we haven't done this before, so let's do that. Let's do something new. But these things, these things, you know, people. Yeah. So it's it's um it's a slightly different process. And I really want the publisher on side with that because. When they feel they're part of it, they're much more likely to bang the drum and get you promotions and yeah. get you, you know, it's, uh, get you out there.
0: And you only get picked up again if the book's been successful as well. So there's also proof in the pudding that, you know, the concepts of work, there's, there's, there's a belief. I guess there's a kind of a belief in the author when you first take them on, but then there's a knowing you know, book through fours and five. You know that you've had, you know, this is this is evolving, and you know it's been successful. Because I mean, at the end of the day, they're a business as well, and they have to look at the numbers, yes. isn't it? Right. So that's awesome, fantastic news. You guys slipped that one out quietly. Well, I'll, I
1: probably shouldn't be telling anyone <laughs> this. But um, we'll 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 snip it out if you get the old email because we but, haven't so, actually we haven't actually signed anything yet. That's the thing. Uh,
0: well, it, didn't, it didn't stop them before sticking up your uh, your cover before you exactly. done the contract, yeah, yeah. right? So brilliant stuff, brilliant. I love it. And then just to finish off, I I just love that story that Beth mentioned about accidentally buying her own book. Uh, easily done. <laughs> that one click on Amazon. Absolutely, dan- the most dangerous button ever invented in in e commerce. I mean, how many people have done that? Goodness knows what shows up at some people's doors.
1: (laughs) I'm all for it.
0: (laughs) Even worse, if your kid's been on your iPad,
1: game over. (laughs) Well, that's it. If if you just go, go, Alexa, buy Back to Reality in paperback. There we go. There's a few sales in the bag. Sorry, everyone. Brilliant stuff. Excellent. So what's been happening on social media this week, Mark? Uh, Lots of good news. Lots and lots of wonderful news. So where do we start? So, uh, yes, um, Poppy T. Perry. Uh, who uh, is a member of the BXP group? Uh, she's uh, she's super proud to be on the honorary mentions for the Scooby Undiscovered Voices 2022, oh. uh, and she, her 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 work Dead Real has been recognised by Scooby, which is the and I can never remember this Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And um, what's lovely is Poppy, who's actually Natalie. Uh, look, we did a very special um, podcast on that. Uh, in our first year i think and she she looked after me for the day and i remember talking to her then about her writing dreams and this is her further down the road towards making that reality so big congratulations to you natalie brilliant well done and on the bxp group uh the uh another person who has all sorts of names but her real name is Sheila McClure but she writes as Annie O'Neill she's an RNA that's the Romantic Novelist Association she's a finalist uh, for their awards uh, coming this year and uh, she's a finalist in the shorter romantic novel category Uh, so big big congratulations uh, to Sheila for that as well fingers crossed there's so many RNA
0: successes in the BXP team isn't there it's just amazing we're just lovers and lovely people we are lovely Romance. Say, yeah. If you're a romance yeah. writer, get on over, get on over, <laughs> bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and join the BXP team. You're going to meet some of the, I mean, biggest award winners in the romance world in our group right now, aren't there?
1: Absolutely mm. brilliant. But Absolutely. congratulations to all of you. <laughs> And then on the Academy, Becky Wade uh, announced, she said, today I published book two in my YA trilogy. Hooray! Now back to writing book three, which I'm hoping to complete in the Academy. And this is the Aura Jacks series. And so book two is The Spark by R.J. Wade. Uh, and if you want to get started, why not check out book one, which is Aura, A-U-R-A, uh, Aura Jacks, book one uh, by R.J. Wade. It's a huge, huge Huge congrats to Becky there uh, because, you know, book two in a trilogy, book three in a trilogy, it's all amazing stuff. Massive momentum there, Becky. Really, really great news. So, yeah, if you've got, you know, if you've got good news, get in touch. Let us know. Let us know your wins. Uh, come and find us on social media. Uh, on Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. Uh, or if you go to BestsellerExperiment.com, you'll find the contact tab there and drop us online. And if you've enjoyed the show, subscribe, rate, review tell your friends tell your writer fans share us with your writers group spread the word as far and wide as you possibly can
0: and if you would like to join us in the bestseller academy if you'd like mark and i to become your personal life and craft coaches in writing please do pop along to academy bestseller experiment.com we can't wait to meet you and hear about all of your writing dreams and take you on this incredible journey with all these other amazing academates so folks just remember if you have been writing a book for the last 25 years and you still not finished it get to the finish line you have to get to the finish line before you get to the finish line without being too morbid about it get that book written folks make it this week where you start that daily process 200wordchallenge.com Write 200 words a day, you don't even have to think about it. It will finish, it will literally write itself each day. So get over to 200wordchallenge.com. But we want to hear about these stories. I want to hear about, in a year from now, five, 10, 50 people that email us and say, remember that episode where you talked about finishing book? Well, I pulled it out, dusted it off, and have done it. And we want to know that we are helping and inspiring you to get across that finish line, folks.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig out my earliest... Because The Witcher of Woodville, The Crow Folk, uh, started as a different series. It was contemporary. It, didn't it? Yes. When was it's that? Can you remember? It's, it's at least 10 years ago. Wow. It's at least 10 years ago. So 10 years is not going to be uncommon. People are going to go, oh, yeah. I spent 10 years in this. Not uncommon at all. Yeah. So absolutely. don't feel bad about that if that's uh, if that's where you are. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Dig that Dust out. it that's off.
0: With dust it off can you beat mark's 10 years let's get them finished but start them today and get to that finish line whenever that will be just keep working towards it folks so keep up keep it up don't get down and have a great writing week it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye
1: from mark two goodbye And welcome to the bestseller experiment. We we we. <laughs> <laughs>